Hey, everybody. My name is Tom, and I am the lead pastor here at Crossroads, and we are really glad that you decided to join us today. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and I want to get started today by talking about something that I think affects all of us. And that in and of itself is a pretty rare thing, that it, this one kind of concept would affect everybody, no matter of your age or where you're from or what you do. And that's this. We all have priorities. We all have these, uh, these important, the things in our, in our lives. And those things dictate what we spend our time on and where we put our energy. And they help us, they help us make decisions. And we're going through life and something comes along that says, take care of me now. I don't care about that important thing. You need to take care of me now. And we get distracted from the important thing. And our time and our energy goes to the urgent thing, the thing that says, take care of me now. That concept is called the tyranny of the urgent. And whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. It affects all of us. It affects us as individuals, at home, at school, at work. And what we're going to look at today is in Acts chapter 6, we're going to see a moment where the church was going about the mission that Jesus gave them, the important thing, and an urgent thing cropped up. But they were able to stay focused on the thing and give the urgent thing their due. And what we learn from that is this, friends, is that what the church does internally affects its impact externally. Let me repeat that. What the church does internally affects its impact externally. We're going to read from Acts chapter 6. Now we're going to look at verses, um, or chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So what we see in those verses is that giving to those who were in need, taking care of the vulnerable, that was just a given. They were doing that. But it was how they went about that that was um, what is interesting, how they, they needed to, to take care of, they needed to address. And I'm going to cover three things that I think um, help us understand why the behavior of the church then and now internally uh, affects its impact externally. And the first one is this. They preach the gospel, and they practice the gospel. And here's what I mean. When I say practice the, the, preach the gospel, here's what I mean. The gospel holds that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, the promise that God made to King David when he said, you will have an heir that sits on the throne for all eternity, and he will bring peace to your people. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham when God said to Abraham, through your offspring, the entire world will be blessed. Jesus shows up on the scene, and the gospel tells us that he walked among us 
as one of us with all the limitations that we have and he lived life perfectly and he died innocently. And, and in doing so, he met our greatest need. He came and he made it possible to restore our relationship with God. That damage that had been done to that relationship by sin, Jesus was taken care of by his, by his perfect death and his innocent by his perfect life and his innocent death, and then his triumphant resurrection. And here's what's really important. The, the gospel Jesus lived was one of focus on God, his Father, and sacrificial, intentional love for others. And this community that was developing in Acts, the early church, that's what they were doing. They were preaching the gospel, and they were living like Jesus lived. They were living focused on God, and they were living intentionally and sacrificially to love others, specifically those who were in need and those who were vulnerable. I want to um, read you a quote from a gentleman named Scott Redd. It says this, Helping and justice are not merely biblical themes. They are expressions of the character of God revealed in Scripture and perfectly imaged by Jesus Christ. So when you hear me today talk, I say things like, we meet people where they're at, and we help move them into relationship with Jesus. You hear us, just like Leanne just did, you hear us invite you to serve and to give. We do what we can to meet the temporal needs of those around us, because that reflects what Jesus did in meeting our greatest need. That, the quote is so good. Helping and justice are not merely biblical themes. They are expressions of the character of God revealed in Scripture and perfectly imaged by Jesus Christ. So here's the, here's the bottom line. Can we go to a blank slide? Sorry. Um, if, if we, the gospel that we are preaching, if it doesn't result in injustices being corrected and the poor being served, then we're not preaching the same gospel that... Um, that Peter and Paul and John and Philip and Stephen and those guys preached. Our, our preaching must result in transformed lives and transformed hearts and in a desire. Like if we see injustice, it should just, we should not be able to contain ourselves that we have to do something about it. If we see somebody in need, we should immediately want to come to their aid. And one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to be a part of the community at Crossroads is that that happens. When there's a need internally, people call me and say, hey, I want to help out. How can I help out? What, where, can I, where can I pitch in to help out there? When they hear of a need outside, like with the, the families that were displaced from the fire at PT, or I know you guys are going to respond to this call to step up for $16 a month to help out GCEC. It's just part of who we are because that's the gospel that we preach. We preach the gospel and we practice the gospel. The next thing that we see in Acts chapter 6 is this. Spirit-filled administration can handle any complication. And the administration is key. It touches every single part of the church. And it's not, um, it's not something to be neglected or passed off lightly. It, it affects every part of the church, and we must pay attention to it. The first thing that the disciples and the apostles did was they stayed focused on the mission. That didn't change. Jesus said, go, witness to what you have seen, preach forgiveness of sin through repentance and baptism. And they kept that first and foremost. They stepped up and they said, hey, we have got to keep 
preaching the word. We have got to keep praying. But at the same time, they recognized there was a real need. This was a growing community. Every community has needs. But specifically in growing communities, those needs will be changing and they need to be addressed. So they needed to step up and take processes or systems. I'm sure they didn't use those words that they had and change them and add to them to make sure that people were being cared for while the gospel was being preached. Those two things go hand in hand. This quote, uh, this is from a commentary that I was reading, and it speaks a lot to the way that we should view. The mission does not change, but how we go about fulfilling that mission needs to always be changing. Luke's narrative here suggests that to be fully biblical is to be constantly engaged in adapting traditional methods and structures to meet existing situations, both for the sake of the welfare of the whole church and, and for the outreach of the gospel. We change things so the gospel can be preached more effectively. We change things so those outside of the church can, be, come, can come into the church, can be welcomed, can um, become part of what Jesus is doing here at, at Crossroads. So the, the next part of that is um, they stayed focused on the mission and then they laid out some criteria. The, uh, the apostles said, find some men who are of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now it's only common sense that different jobs would require different gifts and abilities and, and experiences. So they, they went and they found people who met the, um, those criteria. And what that, what that tells me is this, is that it is appropriate that there would be different people suited for different tasks and that we would make known to the people who serve at Crossroads what is expected of them, right? That's why we have written expectations, written statements of accountability. That's why we continue to develop, to develop written statements of expectations and accountability. And what that does, that creates for everybody who serves at Crossroads, including me and the elders and Ben and Leanne and John, everybody who's part of the team, is that we know exactly what's expected of us. It creates a sense of transparency and it creates a sense of accountability. By doing what the first church did and applying some criteria to who, to who does what. The last thing was gifts. And I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. We see in the description that they were looking for faithful people, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. You look at the description of Stephen in that passage. The people who were asked to handle the administration of this particular issue weren't asked to do it because they couldn't handle the spiritual stuff. That's ridiculous. They were asked to do it because they were full of faith and wisdom. And you're going to see what an important role both Stephen and Philip play in the next three chapters in the book of Acts. We're going to give them each their own Sunday coming up here in August. Um, but by no means are the administrative gifts any less, any less important. And that tells us that we need to recognize all gifts as valuable. We need to recognize all gifts as necessary. If Crossroads, the local church, is going to be everything that Jesus intended it to be, if it's going to be everything that he died for it to be, we need each person to, to step up and to fulfill their role. And that's what I mean by the recognition of each of the gifts. 
So we see they maintained focus on the mission. They laid out some criteria for who does what, and they recognized that all gifts were necessary and valuable and equal. And in doing so, they made a tremendous impact on the world around them. And that's what this last, um, the last point I want to make is, is breaking through barriers. The message that the church was delivering coupled with the way that the church was handling their business internally, the way that they were treating each other, the way that they were loving each other sacrificially and taking care of each other, the way that they were administrating things, the, the combination of those two things, the message and the method, were breaking through barriers. And I want to look at, um, at verse 7 to specifically tell you to the extent that this was happening. It says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. As you're reading this, that could be, like, you could just kind of gloss over that. But the fact that it says a large number of priests became obedient to the faith is significant. It's very, very important, and here's why. A couple chapters earlier, we met a group of priests, the Sadducees and the ruling high council. These priests in this verse is not them. Those guys were threatened by the apostles. They called the apostles in. They said, look, you need to stop preaching and teaching and healing in the name of Jesus, or you guys are you're, you're in for it. The priests that we're talking about in this verse are like the blue-collar priests. And scholars think there could have been as many as 8,000 of them who lived outside the city, and they would come into the temple for, um, for their, their shift. And they were the ones who were responsible for the day-to-day kind of... Um, I was going to say grind. That doesn't sound very reverent. The day-to-day responsibilities of making sure the animal sacrificial system was carried out. So they're in there, and they're performing these sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin so that God would, um, would be pleased with them. And there are these guys who are saying, listen, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. You don't need to do that anymore. We don't need to do this day after day, month after month, year after year. Jesus did it once for all. I would love for you guys on your own to go read Hebrews chapter 10, which is a great kind of detailed description of of how Jesus takes the place. He's the perfect sacrifice and takes the place of all those sacrifices. But so what was was happening? Something significant had to be happening for these priests to leave. These roles were ancestral. And so they had been in their families for a long period of time. This was their living. And these guys were giving up their living and their ancestral roles to enter this new community of faith that Jesus had started and the apostles were growing. What was it that they were seeing? It was the message that was being preached. It was the gospel. And it was the legs that were being put on the gospel by the way the church treated each other, by the way they acted internally. It was the preaching. It was the praying. It was the the helping and the giving and the healing and the administrating. And it was something like no one had ever seen before. And it was breaking through. Remember, these guys lived outside the city. It was breaking through geographic barriers. These guys were part of the religious structure of the day. It was breaking through political and religious structures. The movement of God was breaking through barriers because of the message that was being preached and because of the methods that were being used. So up until this point in this conversation, we've been talking about the early church as kind of like a movement, right? And the movement, any movement, is made up of people. So that kind of begs some questions. And these could be hard questions. Um, if, if the idea of 
looking at a movement and seeing how the people within the movement treat each other and how they do things impacts their external focus, impacts their ability to do things externally, we have to, as members of that movement, we have to ask ourselves some, maybe some hard questions. So here we go. The first one is this. What does your engagement with others at Crossroads say about Jesus? Does it point people to Jesus and his gospel? Does it offer an alternative way of life that will make your neighbors and your coworkers curious about Jesus? Do your actions prepare and or confirm the message of the gospel for your family and friends? And if you're a visitor or if you're new to Crossroads, what does your experience at Crossroads tell you about Jesus so far? Those are some hard questions, and I would love for you guys to wrestle with those um, during your time with God this week. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I asked you guys to write down your stories, and you did, and some of you emailed me, and man, I was so encouraged. I would love to hear from you about your responses to some of those questions, maybe where you're tracking with Jesus in those questions, and, and the way that you're living is helping people find Jesus, or maybe you're struggling in certain areas, and we can come around you as a community and help you do a better job at that. So to kind of tie this whole thing up, as we look at the gospel that was preached and the gospel that was practiced, and we, we look at the way the disciples and the apostles administrated what they were doing, focus on the mission, criteria for who does what, and a recognition of all the gifts, those things come together and barriers are broken through, right? And if we can do those things, that's what, that's what our vision is. That's what we want to concentrate on. We want to build a community where people come to know and grow in Jesus in a way that draws others to do the same. That's what that means. That's what, the, um, what we do internally affects our impact externally as individuals and as an organization. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that it first and foremost shares your character with us. It tells us about you and about how you feel about us. But it also gives us guidance um, when we are faced with um, urgent situations that might distract us from you. We can look at the first church and see what they did. God, we thank you for their example. We thank you for their, their courage and the way that they um, yielded to the work of your Holy Spirit and the way that the combination of those things broke through barriers. God, we pray that we would be a community that would break through barriers here in Fairfield County, that we would break through geographic barriers as we fan out across Fairfield County, that we would break through political barriers, and there wouldn't be left or right or Republican or Democrat. There would just be you, Jesus. We pray that we would break through the barriers of, of self-sufficiency and of money and of, of seeking our solace and our hope in the things of this world. And we would be able to point people to you by the way that we treat each other. Jesus, we pray that we would be that kind of community. In your power and in your holy name, we can do those things. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen.